Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I've had the privilege of meeting a number of fascinating people that have shared their stories in the pre-COVID, COVID, and more recently in the early post-COVID months. Out of 186 podcasts to date, none stand out more than my chats with James McCare from the Calgary Food Bank, episode 82, and Laurie McRitchie from Airdrie Food Bank, episode 178. The Food Bank relies upon the support from the local community, and as many know, this support was very prominent during the COVID lockdown period. Now that businesses and activities have opened up across the globe, including children returning to school, it can be very easy to forget about those in real need of food donation. Take the time to donate to the food bank, whether it is at your local grocery store, such as the hampers placed by the cashier at Sobeys, or at the physical locations of both Calgary and Airdrie food banks, or online at the Canada Food Bank's website, www.foodbankscanada.ca. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day and stay safe. Good morning, Babak. Good morning, Alan. How are you? I'm well, and welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. Thank you. I have to tell you, Babak, we're hit, we're hit episode 195, 195. So I don't know how many wells you've drilled or your teams have drilled, but that's probably that's probably a good week's worth of work, right? That is, yes. We don't drill wells, but we actually analyze the the data from the wells. So yes, sorry, wrong, <laughs> congratulations yeah. to you. Wrong, uh, wrong uh, correlation. But there are 194 wells before this one that they were drilled. So good. Welcome, Babak. And look, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company because Integra, I, I want to let you, you introduce that. Uh, sure. Thanks, um, Alan. Um, so I'm Babak Shafi. I'm a founder and CEO of Integra Data and Analytics Solutions. Yeah. Um, Integra is a company that um, brings in data and uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to solve engineering problems. It's, it's a unique combination. We are focused on oil and gas industry primarily because of our background and engineering expertise that we have in-house right and uh you know our love for for data and passion for visualization and building models has has led us you know to this point uh where we look at you know real problems like you know why a pump fails you know how can you optimize a pipeline output or how can you simulate pipeline failures and so on and so forth then look at the data and work with the engineers to come up with, uh, you know, practical uh, models using AI and machine learning. And we specifically focus on AI and machine learning. I mean, there is many ways you can skin a cat, but we're focused sure. on AI and ML. It's just exciting. It's fun. That's why you know, we do it. Yep. Let's let's go to that. I mean, just for, as a pump. If a pump fails, literally. I mean, I worked in the Middle East, and the pump would just seize because of the heat and you know and the lack of maintenance. But if you don't. I mean, apart from taking it apart, and you're a data guy or person, you know, your team is looking at the data. If you don't have the data, you're going to be pulling it apart and going all the way to the nuts and bolts. But so it starts with the how do you capture that data, the the data that's coming to to tell the story for that pump? Yes, most organizations luckily have spent quite some time and energy over the last few years to capture the data as you know oh, okay. the iot internet of things and yeah and other phenomena has lead you know um, organization to think about okay i have an asset how do i capture the data so i can understand it better and i can maintain right. it better so there is definitely um the strong you know availability of some data um, but there is a lot of myth around how much data is enough and what is the quality of sure. the data and a lot of people get bogged down by quality or the volume of the data which they shouldn't, you know, any, any data science problem, any machine learning problem is different. Uh, so it's always good to, you know, get into these things with a open mind and then yeah. determine, you know, what sort of problems can you solve with the current state, um, as opposed to plan for future state and stuff. Yeah. avoid that doesn't add value necessarily. So one of the key messages we're trying to send is that you can do it now and we can show you how and the possibilities are are endless um, a lot of people i i think are they're still thinking structurally about the data and solving so lots sure. of data make sure that it's good quality and that was very true 10 years ago 
because 10 years ago when you were focused on let's say business intelligence and a lot of your report was on supply chain you right. know, or on your finance you needed to have good data right, right. If you had the wrong invoice number or the wrong amount you know that you couldn't really rely on that data but we are talking about machines we're talking about equipments right they will never send you reliable data there's always something malfunctioning it could be a sensor it could be the machine but when you have the volume of the data and you know machine learning um, is very good at you know understanding what is good you know and it's some coaching and some training and some expertise sure. to kind of weed out anything that is not necessarily necessary for that specific use case and uh you know start to develop some logic on top of it so it can start to predict for example a pump failure okay uh, let, let, so let, let's drill down to this because not the, the pump itself but you, you mentioned several times on the quality of data the data and if it's faulty data the sensors fault i mean let's 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 unpack that because how do you know if it's faulty if the machine the data is coming from your your sensor that's on there yeah, you yeah you would know typically you know I mean every engineer knows you know there is there is a, a, a series of events and not necessarily events but changes in the pump behavior that leads yeah. to its failure it could be I mean vibration is typically the last stage but it could be temperatures it could be the efficient it could be how much energy is using there's a number of different things and it different yeah, you know in every that from the practical the practical side but the the, the data is coming about saying yes maybe the fit sensors faulty it's just so hey this bump's working fine you know it's kind of like an airplane failure you know when the data the signals are coming incorrectly right yes so when you have a model you typically you would build a model that tells you when a pump is acting like a pump yeah right which is should be 99 percent if you're higher from the past, right from the past the, right it pump the, does the same thing as a pump does it's not like human it doesn't change its mind to do something else <laughs> different today so it will be the same it's boring yeah. it's boring data and yeah. then the machine detects that boring pattern right in the pump it's like, oh yeah it is working fine sure. and then someday you know there could be upset in the process there could be some upstream you know events that is affecting it it starts to, you know, act differently. That's pushing more or, you know, the discharge pressure is different and or inlet pressure is different or the temperature is changing. And that's where the machine said, hey, well, I'm going to flag this. I think there might be something going on. Doesn't mean that it's going to fail. But, yeah. you know, it starts to tell you when a pump is not uh, behaving like a pump. And that's that's really key. You know, a lot. I've seen many, um, um, I guess, um, organization going after a specific problem to solve i want to know when it's going to fail like you may yeah. not be able to predict when an element is going to fail but what you want to do is you want to know when it's not working the way that it used to work sure sometimes after looking at the data you realize okay well i changed something upstream and that's why right that's why it's not right maybe the combination of the gas that was coming in or the oil to you know water ratio has changed so you can explain it so, but it's important to know when it's not behaving the way it should be behaving. And that's what... This is incredible. Focuses. Like, I mean, the data, I'm just, I'm going back now, many years when I worked in Ukraine, we drilled a well. I, I was a CFO. We spent a lot of money. And what, there was a point when the deviation, it went off. And they didn't detect it. It was off 15 degrees on the drill. They're drilling the well. And that deviation caused a lot of problems. So everyone said, let's back up to where we went vertical, where we were straight again. And they said, no, 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 we'll keep drilling through, right? And they drilled through, and it was such a, it was a spiral by the time they got back to vertical, <laughs> where they should have been, right? Absolutely. So that data would have been so critical to send a signal. And this was, I mean, this is 2009, or 2000, yeah, 2009, 2010. So, you know, how has that changed? Is it, is it sending signals on that kind of, you know, well deviations? Well, it depends on, you know, with, which equipment you look at or which part of the industry, which company and what they have set up. But yeah. like, mo mostly if you have the data, you can start to infer some of these normal behaviors. And, you know, yeah. you can start to say, okay, these are the normal patterns that I'm expecting for this pump or this type of pump. And then you'll come up with their normal behavior across different plants, across different setups, right? It won't be the same. And I sure. always say a pump is not a pump. And when you change the process, when you have a different location, when you have a place where it's a different temperature, if you've got a pump that is, you know, housed 
you know, in a, in an enclosed environment, acts very differently than you know a pump that is exposed. So you you gotta bring all of that, but it's not difficult. You know, we try to figure out with our minds, you know, how this will all come together. But that's what the machine learning does. Yeah, that's what the well, algorithm figures out. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh, what the machine figures out. So that's that's one. So you got the data. You better use it. And these you know experiments are not that expensive anymore. The compute cost or the storage cost has significantly decreased these days. So any organization who is not doing this, even a small or yeah. medium-sized organization is not using this data, it's really you know setting themselves for the failure. Because not only, well, although we had like an Uber or Netflix that basically runs on data, <laughs> right? Yeah. Those are kind of the, uh, the unicorns, but then it just becomes a norm. It's just think about the PCs, right? I wasn't, I'm not that old enough to remember that there was no PC at, at workplace, but you know, it wasn't, you know, at some point when my dad was like, he didn't have to carry a laptop. He didn't have a laptop. He didn't need to know Excel. Like he had, he had a chart of account. I remember he used to bring these long books. <laughs> hey, I'm an account. I know, you know that? Legend. Okay. 12 columns manually writing out and making sure the jet you carry the number to the next the next sheet. So, yes. you know, I, but it's incredible that you talk about this because let's just take two mid-sized companies, repairs and maintenance of the pump, repairs and maintenance of, you know, the pump jack. You know that if you're not using data, you're going to your predictability it lessens and your cost will increase because your downtime is going to be there, your opportunity cost loss. Yes. Right? I give you a point in, you know, I give you a point, like a real uh, point that anybody can actually dig to see. Pipelines, okay? So there are certain yeah. companies that they use their data to make decisions around, you know, pipeline maintenance and repairs, yes. right? And pipeline maintenance and repair is very involved, right? You have to go, you have to dig, you have to remove parts of the, you know, pipe or you have to do some, you know, put it on a sleeve or... You've got to shut it down. Exactly, you've got to shut it down. Very expensive. Yeah. So just look at... uh you know, the Alberta Energy Regulatory Reports, right? Look at some of those top 10 pipeline companies and yep. see how many digs they're doing per kilometer of the pipeline. That's a, that's a very okay. nice metric. You will recognize yeah. that some companies who are smaller and for some reason they don't think they, they should or they need to look at the data, they're doing a lot more dig per kilometer of the off the pipeline and the bigger companies who are smarter and they're using their data or have the facilities they're doing a yep. lot less dig per kilometer there's a very good kpi to look at to see how effective you are it's, it's one of the kpis now not to mention they're not okay, doing a okay. good job but point. i'm just saying that you know but if you use your a, data you're you'll yeah. be ahead of the game but Babic, let's let's put yourself in the shoes of a lot of small producers who haven't put the data they don't have the money and the resources and now you got a downturn now you suddenly have years of data they haven't captured in that manner. So they're, they're going to hurt even further because they don't have the money to put in the CapEx to put in the data, you know, this monitoring systems and all that. What do they do? I think the person who a few years ago decided not to collect the data should be let go because this is not <laughs> new. This is not new. Like if they're today in that situation where they have data, they can't use it. There's a fundamental yeah. problem in, in how they're thinking. And, you know, it's never late to start. The good thing is, in a, in a way, it's positive because there's a lot of advancement in technology. It's a lot cheaper sure. to do. Like the projects, I, I, as you know, I was a director at Suncor for, some, for quite some time. So a yes. project that yeah. would cost me millions of dollars to do, I can do the same project for a small, medium-sized producer for, you know, hundreds of thousands. So yeah. that's how significant uh, is in terms of the price reductions and the resources are, that are available. Look, we have we have a beautiful city, Calgary. I love it. You know, in all of my posts, you'll see I'll say, "Love Calgary, beautiful." <laughs> Even if it's snowing right now, I compliment the snow. It's nice. It's white. It's a lot, <laughs> and uh, and it's clean. Um, we, aside from the snow and the beautiful mountains, we have a pool of talent of engineers, right? And you know, let's let's face it, the the natural resources. Is not like industries around natural resources are not on the growth uh, projections, right? And what is yeah. going to happen to all the engineers, all the really good talent that Calgary has been able to, um, you know, gather? I think, you know, if we can think about data, use it more, and you know, get some of these people to actually work on the data, uh, it will go. It will transform how 
how this whole city and whole province is, is going to uh, operate. So we have to use the talent pool that we have in Calgary. We have to be a little bit more open. Traditionally, you know, our industry is not very open, uh, sure. in, at least with, with respect to their data, which is understandable. Um, but okay. we have to so come let's, up let's with drill, Let's drill on that one a little bit. And let's talk about your tip, the profile of your typical experts that you're bring, you know, that are working with you. And then we can talk about what you're doing to retool them or retrain them. But let's talk about your typical, the typical profile of your experts. So typical profile is an engineer, right? So it's a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, or chemical engineer. Chemical engineers are really good for processing, right? And mechanicals yeah. are very good for, you know, when you come to like failure mechanisms and electrical engineers focus on things like drilling. And we have a, a few of, of other art, you know, disciplines. Uh, not art, you know, don't we anyone to be offended. Uh, but, you know, that works on material and when it comes to you no know, leakage and other stuff in the pipe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So these people have, so again, this, this area is also transformed. So we have some people who used to be, you know, masters of petroleum engineering and now masters of data science. So they've got both disciplines under their belt. So these are nice. really good people to actually coach the rest of the team because they know the journey and they know how an engineer thinks and they can help them you know how to think like a scientist so do you have the data scientists people on staff or the, you know what kind of courses you know do they have courses that are oil and gas guys and you know i don't know they dummy it down and say here's here's data science and oil and gas do you have courses like that or do they you know what, what's the typical time frame for these to convert someone from who's looking at whatever well to a well data they've had for for generations and suddenly now they're data scientists um it's, it's a really question a good question i think it depends on the individual um, but yeah I, no you have to invest a couple of years if you truly want to transform right you need to be a good engineer to play to begin with right so you need to understand yeah. how well operates and how it works and know the business process around it or procedures around it then you can interpret the data that's very important so here's here's a really a unique uh, advantage that all the engineers have when it comes to data science, especially in the oil and gas, right? Um, oil and gas and, you know, op operations inside oil and gas is not like finance or supply chain. It's not something you can read a book and learn a little bit about, uh, not to undermine you know, the details in the finance, but my point is like there are <laughs> right. standards around the world, right? So you have gap, sure. you have other standards in finance or in supply chain. But in engineering, like how you run your pump is how you run it. It's very unique, right? So the point is because data, to understand data, you need to understand the process. These people who are engineers have a disadvantage. They, they can understand the data. What they need is the tools to do then the biopsy and you know, breaking down the data and that knowledge sure. gap can be filled yeah. you know there's knowledge gaps that can be filled with many good courses online and you know what we have done recently that i'm really proud to talk about a little bit is a platform so we have actually built a platform that allows anyone with minimum skills to you start using you know data science tools so this this isn't a drilling pad where you have cement and the and the water the water drainage and all that it's 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 an online platform. Yes, thanks for clarifying that because I assume <laughs> some of your audience will be thinking pla real platforms. So these yeah. are digital. Yeah, fifty kilometer. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna build an access road to that platform. And uh, anyway, yeah. you have to build data pipelines and you have to have you know pods yeah. in in Kubernetes. <laughs> um, but it's digital platform, and the intent for it is to have to give anyone, you know, and everyone yeah. access to these data science uh, tools, and especially sure. the open source, because a lot of the innovation today is happening in the open source space. And traditionally, oil and gas is not very friendly with oil and open source. Like we don't use them, we don't trust it for good reasons. And I want to break some of those silos. Well, well, well yeah? Yeah, let's, let's for yeah. good reasons why? I'm because this is important because a lot of my podcast guests have been tech people and, and, and open source is critical to, you know, a lot of development out there, closed source, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the expert, but I'm saying, you know, why are people in, distrusted in oil and gas versus every other 99% of the other sectors or whatever it is, right? Whatever that ratio is. I mean, uh, if I, if I could speak from my experience, we always say, hey, we're not yeah. in the software business. We are in oil and gas business. No, but you need software. Data runs on software. Yes. Data management 
it runs, it pulls data from software. Yes. That was the attitude. Not from yep. That was the attitude back then. You know, IT was just a order taker, you know, in gas. They would just install applications yeah. and software. And, you know, ex- yeah. at the executive level, we really didn't care much about the software and all the platform and technology. Not everybody was like this, but mainly. Now, let alone yeah. going to open source, because open source is dynamic. It's changing every day, right? And, you know, in terms of security, yeah. in terms of integrating it with your closed source, Softwares that we've been investing in the last uh, 40 years is, is challenging and really is high risk. However, what I, I want to advocate is that we need to become more open source friendly. We need to enable it. Yeah. And part of what we're doing wow. in our digital hub platform is to bring in open source, add security, add database integration, add a storage, add user management, sure. all the kind of enterprise features that we love. And then make it available to everyone. Like do it once, and then make it available to everyone. So, Bob, let's 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 talk about that because you know, and I, and I'm going from the old oil and gas hat where the, it has been closed and very private. You know, the pr- proprietary knowledge, and what you've just you just talked about are some you know some of the knocks on why should I adopt because security the what you know the data doesn't I can't read data from you know my data is pretty it's an older whatever system. And so, and it's confidential. There's there's a lot of knocks on that in general, but oil and gas, in my view, has has always felt but, but been a laggard in that area. Yes. Um. So I I think how you could like you. Oh, Babak, I'm losing yes, you, man. Yes. No, I'm here. Hello. I'm right here. Can you hear me? Yeah. There. You're, it's just kind of a shaky. There we are. It's better. Okay. Um, so speaking of how can we overcome some of the gaps between open source and closed source and, you know, the old mentality of uh, just being very secure and structured, whereas being very agile and dynamic is um, and how you can make this work. I think every organization needs to have almost like a um, operation data freedom, right? Free up your data, wherever it's locked into, right? Free yeah. it up. Uh, you know, I would say take pl- place it in a place that you trust. So it could be a cloud. Some organizations are more advanced and they're going towards cloud. That's fantastic. And, you know, put it in the cloud and start to look into your business process and prioritize the business process and operations that needs to be looked at and then uh, bring in a sense of excellence to start looking into solving some of these problems. Every organization right. must be doing this. And if they don't know how to do it, they can reach out to us. We've done it at large corporations. We've done it for many customers. How do yeah. you take advantage of your data in order to be competitive in this day and age? Which is very tough. And by the way, just for the record, it's COVID. It's, you know, <laughs> oil prices are down. And, you know, the whole world politically is, is a bit of a, you know, gong show right now. So, No, and that's clear. I mean, I think it's oil and gas sector has been hit doubly. It was hit before. Before the crisis, COVID hit it really hard, and and you know I, I think you know they're still finding its way. And I'm not I'm not sitting I'm not in a position to 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 give opinions on that, but I think just general observation. But let's let's talk about some of your typical projects. Are they, you know, I mean, I've got some ideas of where 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 things where there's a lot of um like you know in the in the where I think it's the trendy. What what are your typical projects? Is it that is it just the the wellhead type, the existing wellheads? What do you what are you working oh, on? Can you can you of share? Of course, of course. Um, we pride ourselves in being very diverse. You know, in terms of what types of projects we take on, because at the yeah. end of the day, you know, it's a matter of knowing the process and being able to use the data. Um, although we are focusing on oil and gas, but we can easily transform to other areas. But in the oil and gas, which has been our focus, we typically have three types of projects. These projects are either a data science type, so you're doing exploration, you're trying to understand. And I'll give you an example, you know, a pipeline, you know, operator who wanted to know um, how much additional output they can have with the existing infrastructure they have. You know, the the best way to answer that is to look at the data and look at, you know, uh, the trends and what else, you know, that you have in that in that regards and then come up with some advice. Really, really interesting results that they achieved by just looking at the data through data science. The, uh, the second type of projects are around machine learning. So those are the type of projects that we predict a failure or pre- predict a phenomenon happening. You know, we've done 
pump failure, you know, uh, predictions. We've worked on water treatment process optimization at Sagdi uh, business. You yeah. know, when you look at, you know, your whole fresh water usage and try to reduce it by improving your end-to-end process. Uh, we've also worked. Oh, right, yes. right. Yeah, there's quite a bit of fresh water that is used in that process. And if you can optimize your. Yeah. The connection's bad. I'm gonna, I want to continue to start on the projects. I'm going to disconnect. We're going to just read. We'll, we'll link to two. No problem. I just going to, I think we're going to get a better. Okay. Hi, Babak. Hi again. I hope we have a better connection. So let, let's continue your thought that you could you talked about some of the analytics, predictive analytics using machine learning. So just to continue. Yes. Uh, so I was um, just before we got disconnected, I was talking about using data science to explore the data and using machine learning to come up with the trends and yeah. anomalies in your uh, operations. And, you know, one of the examples I have is around you know water treatment and you know fresh water usage as well as you know predictive maintenance for for the pumps but there is the third category that is i i think it's fairly unique to us and it's simulation it's it's phenomenon uh, this is one of my favorite you know ways of extracting insight from uh, from data and let me just explain simulation like sure. such as like monte carlo uh, simulation yeah it's not new it's existed you know, and what we're doing is also not new at all. But what we have done with it, which is different, is we've enabled simulation in the cloud with scaling, auto scaling on the compute. So what it means is that like a simulation that typically on a normal computer may take two years, will take two hours. Then wow. we in the cloud. Yes. But you're talking simulation of the well, how the well would perform over time or what, what, what's exact, what, what are you simulating? So I'll get to that, uh, and yeah. let me just complete, uh, I'll get to that, that's a very good question. So this simulation, it's very important that you can also do it in a cost you know, efficient manner. So when you're scaling up and scaling down, it's optimized, you can do it within a few hours and very low cost. Now, what can you simulate? Anything that you have a relationship that you can, you have a calculation that you ha are using you know, unknown parameters, yeah. uh, for example, say it could be a pipeline leak or could be any other you know use case or a pipeline failure as an example uh, when you try to come up with a pipeline failure calculation or the probability of exceedance you're taking the average of the pipeline thickness you're taking the average of different you know elements when you take averages for your calculation yeah. uh, they're okay if you're distribution or data distribution is normal but if you have a skew if you know your pipeline uh, the thickness of the pipe itself is changing because of the corrosion because of the that's element right. that's right you're not really you know you're not looking at an average right you're, you're looking at a different data set so what we do with the simulation we take the data that for example in this case on pipeline is available through the inline inspections the ili tools that kind of inspect the pipelines. We take that data. Right. So we know the exact measurement of in the the wall thickness at a given point where you know they identified you know a corrosion or maybe a metal loss on the pipeline. Okay. Yeah. And then based on the randomness of this, we create a distribution that says okay it's typically between X and Y. And then the simulator knows that it's going to use a number between X and Y, which has a normal distribution or maybe a left skewed or a right skewed. But right. then it's using different numbers. So instead of having one calculation, you can do 10 million calculations. Like in this case, we did 300, we did 10 million simulation on 370,000 features. Features mean like a defect in pipeline, in a pipeline. Yeah, like yeah, because you're putting what goes into the pipe, right? Like the, the, the content of the sulfur content or the ionox or whatever, you know, that, that mixture. I'm not the expert, but, you know, what goes down, what's going to, at the end of the day, what's coming out 
is going to impact the corrosivity or you know the breakdown of that pipe. Absolutely, and it changes. You know, it depends on where where you are in that pipeline, and the manufacturing specifications, and a lot yeah. of other information. So anytime that you have uncertainty in the data or your yeah. data is very random, you can use simulation as opposed to using averages and doing a statistical. You can use simulation. And this is brilliant. I mean, yes. I'm thinking refineries. I'm thinking ocean when they're laying yes. in the ocean. Yeah, you I'm know. very excited about this. And again, it's not that we could have done this. 10 years ago but it was taking years to come up with well, the, the technology probably wasn't there right? exactly so this is where we have been very innovative we brought in the technology brought in the problem domain and the data to create something that is completely new and it's just the possibilities are mind-boggling when it comes to simulation. you know because Bob, i'm just i mean literally i segue into clean tech so carrie mcgrath with the iut you know they international uh, ultrasonic technologies I, I don't know if you know their their, their group yes yeah so, because she's talking about heavy oil, and they clean it to get to send it onto the you know outside of Canada onto ships, containers, sh uh, container ships, and that imagine the data in terms of you know the volume. There's all, again, I again into your you know how many data points you put into there and predicting how long that ship, the next cleaning and the oil. Like wow, I think this is a huge. I, I really think this is amazing. Yeah, it's it's a more of a it's it's, it's a it's a little bit more complex than machine learning in some aspects, but yeah. Once you uh, determine the approach and you have the data, the results. But you put them together. You can put them Imagine together. the power. You run the sim and then you compare the, the real and then you go back to the sim and you, the, the data, you know, how did it actually play out? And the machine will learn and say, oh, here's your simulation. Here's the differences in the actual, you know, the two months later, one month, whatever it is. Oh, wow. From what we are hearing from our customers, yeah. already the simulation is far better than what they have. Far, like it's not even comparable. Because before they would say, okay, the probability of failure is X. But now yeah. it gives them 10 million. It does it 10 million times and says, the probability of failure is this range, right? So this feature <laughs> may fail like yeah. in two to five years. And in two years, the probability of failure is like 20%. But in five years, it's 55%. Gives them huge insight into their planning, into the execution of the maintenance. But I mean, this is this is huge in terms of if you if you overlay this with, you know, for again, and I'm just going into the environmental ESG, which is the big, you know, it's kind of the big area now where investors and venture capital. And one of the big ones is, you know, former Bank of Governor uh, Mark Carney is now working with one of the big, you know, the one of the big investment firms on ESG, environmental sustainable, you know, that. So let's fast forward to a little a, a little uh, startup that I had on my podcast recently. And they use artificial intelligence to 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 troll the internet for ESG compliant. Now, if you go into your you know your sim and the data you're driving, you put those together and you're getting better predictability of where you're investing funding, yes. where you're putting money. Yes. Wow. And you know what is also doing actually is very interesting. You brought that up. Is now looking at maintenance from a risk perspective, not from a yeah. time or you know usage perspective. So what these guys yeah. are thinking, or what we are thinking, and we are going to talk to some, you know, authorities, regulators actually on that front that let's take a risk approach to the say pipeline maintenance as an example. This is already yeah. ready to go use case that we have. We can demonstrate it. That, you know, instead of saying, okay, well, we dug here five years ago, we don't know what's going on, let's dig it again, right? Which is typically, you know, part of the decision-making is to say, well, what is the probability of, you know, this part of pipeline failing? And should I prioritize something else? Like this will reduce, you know, pipeline incidents significantly, yeah. reduce the cost of, you know, digging and planning. Millions of dollars goes into planning and maintenance of you know, uh, this digging operations and it's environmentally very friendly, right? You're not disturbing the land, you're not, plus your production. So this is like, hits all the three bottom lines of any organization. So think sure, about sure. maintenance, especially like this case is on the pipeline from a risk perspective, as opposed to from the traditional approaches to maintenance. So are you using typical tools for your, I mean, let's tech, talk about tech, talk about open source. Are you using typical tools out there? And you talk about your training. You've got a platform. Are you are you bringing together some existing, you know, uh, tech tools to to complement your platform? Yes, absolutely. And we in our platform, we're bringing anything that we use and we think it's good. So think about it as a curated place for all kind of open source uh, technologies. 
because I think if more people know how to do this, I'll be more successful. Yeah. Right. Because what I'm after is transforming and bringing data. Open make the bigger. You just make, exactly. So the more the people bigger. think about uh, simulation, the more people know how to do machine learning, and the more you know practical because there's a lot of hype around these AI and ML, and you know there's a lot sure. of commercial things that are not necessarily fitting into our industry. And we've taken this on us to bring it to oil and gas and prove it. Right? If you if you want to see how to predict a plant failure, call us. If you want to see a simulation call us we're more than happy to do demos and show you i mean love other people to do what we do because we can't alone you know we change this industry and our platform was intended to do that because one of the barriers um alan to the entry is like the technology right um so you're an yeah. engineer and you're just trying to code in python but now you have to learn about <laughs> yeah which is which the Python is, that's the artificial intelligence that coding is in Python, as I understand, the majority of it. Yeah, Python is a very popular and one of the de facto, you know, standards when it comes to, you know, data projects, um, for sure. There's also other ones like R, but R is more a statistical. R statistical, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Python R is more yeah. on data wrangling and machine learning, and it's very popular. Yeah. So you learn a few line of code on, on Python, but the next thing you have to worry about is how to configure it, how to scale it, how to, you know, sure. connect it to the sure. database. So the platform does all of that. So you don't have to worry about packages being outdated. You don't have to worry about your data being unsecure on a laptop or even organizations for that matter. And, you know, our platform is uh, cloud native. Um, and, you know, with, from a cost point of view, you can turn it on and off. You actually never know if it's on or off. If you're on it, it automatically yeah. turns on. If you're off it, it turns off. And that helps with cost significantly. Because why would you want to have a larger scale computer that only you need it for a few hours? So let's say you have a model. You come up with this idea to look at the, you know, some of the well data. And now you want to start predicting, I'll give you an example. Let's plungers, right? Plungers on the gas wells. And you want to start timing the plunger and coming up with best timing for the plunger in order to effectively, yeah. you know, optimize your well life as well as, you know, its production. Um, th that, you know, say you have a neural network now that you have configured to run. The neural network you know, requires a lot of compute, right? So you may make a change to your configuration, to your architecture of yeah. the neural network, and then you want to execute yeah. it. Uh, takes a few hours to do and you need lots of computing power. And everybody's looking at, you know, and then then interprets the data. You know, there's, there's the, the engineers, the reservoir engineer comes in and the well guy. I mean, there's so many people come, and they, they have different opinions of where to yes. go. So instead of having a platform that is always, you know, let's say, imagine for a moment that we've had like two or 300 CPUs at, at the moment running and crunching numbers. Yeah. But it's only for that yeah. hour that is doing it, right? Then it shuts down and yeah. then you don't need it. So cost again. Yeah, it's more cost effective. Very cost effective. And that's why these are now possibilities. But in I mean, so that's the thing. You get the systems. I'm going back, you know, the, the system does they would run sims or they'd run, you know, they would run the, the best. They the reservoir engineer would go away and he come back. I mean we we had board meetings. We had board meetings, guys from X Slumberger would be analyzing stuff based on a printout and it was very static. They couldn't they couldn't flex it. They have to come back and the, the reservoir engineer would run more models. And then it was very cumbersome. And meanwhile, time passed like that. Well, deviation I mentioned, yes. that's just one example of where you took, they took days to make decisions. And it sounds like you're bringing it down to hours or even less minutes. I think, you know, you should get to a point where, you know, ahead of time, that's our goal, right? We should know ahead <laughs> yeah, of time, back to your right? Because if yeah. you combine yeah. simulation with machine learning, and you have a good understanding of your business process, you can start to realize, right? It's, it's like putting gas in your car. Like you're, you don't need to look at, sometimes you have to look at that, you know, that, that blinking <laughs> light on the dash. The gauge. You didn't know the gauge, when yeah, you yeah. and how much you did. You kind of know it's about time to go to the gas station. And that's how the machine learning <laughs> works, right? It's over the time yeah. it learns the habits and the distances that you're traveling and what you're doing. And the whole world is changing around it. And what we're trying, to do is say, hey, it's possible. And I think oil and gas more than anybody else right now needs to apply these data techniques. And these are not the only techniques. And I'm not suggesting that we are the only one who can do it. There are many good companies here in Calgary and, sure. you know, Edmonton, sure. right? You've got some of the brilliance, you know, professors and 
you know, researchers in Edmonton, University of Alberta, which is world now. We're almost like the third from some of, uh, recent um, updates, you know, the third place like in, in Canada. So after Toronto and Montreal, yeah. we could be that third hub uh, with all the resources we have. We just need to get the industry but you, I mean, it's not just, as you said, to your point, it's not just oil and gas. There's industrial plants, chemical plants. I mean, I was, we had on the podcast, the CO2 energy people, and they're talking, yeah, yeah, this can go on the wellhead. This can go in the, you know, chemical plants, polysil, whatever it is, you know, the petrochemicals. And, and so it's not, it's, it's not one it's dimension. It's not one dimension, absolutely. But, you know, like anything else, we need to learn. I mean, I say we is the collective executives and managers and, you know, we need sure. to learn how to use this tool. And I don't think we right so it's like anything else it's like the yeah. cars you know we used to ride horses and then you know we had to learn to drive a car <laughs> and you know how yeah. fast we can go that's why we have stop signs we need to learn how to drive and how to use these tools and that's very important everybody should take at least one data science course i think there shouldn't be anyone in a corporate that doesn't take a data science course to understand okay. what it is You've come from you come from um, Deloitte, or you spent some time at Deloitte. I did as well, but I've listened to a podcast recently by CPA Alberta. You talk about green ledgers and everything. But one of the the KPMG fellow was on there, and he, he he spoke on the podcast about the new recruits are coming up with data. They're pulling the data from my clients, and I, I don't know the sector, and they're making they're creating models, you know, from using and, and bridging that together with a data science, a free source, some kind of you know, saying. Here's the here's the analytics from that, right? Kind of a they're becoming data mini data scientists, but they're coming out of university with Absolutely. that skill. Absolutely, and I really love that. So that you brought a very good point. I think universities, you know, are, have been really good in terms of bringing up these programs and these certifications. Um, I'll be speaking at the University yeah. of Calgary uh, next week um, uh, with nice. a group of their Master of Data Science program uh, because really a lot of what's in you're kidding, Babak. One of the guy, the, the the boy, a goy boys, you know, is I'm mentoring him as the MPA, like part of their leadership program, and he's on the data science. We had this discussion. He said, "This is part of my day to day course." You know, the the the, the young child Jack Beer that I'm uh, mentoring. We we just have this discussion. This is fantastic. That is great. Yeah, I really love that. So I think really it should be the industry, it should be the um, academia, and then the government and people willingness to you know adapt you know to the new reality of the world i think you know the younger generation has no problem adopting it they're already using ai on their phone on everything else that they do um but it's still you know when they come to the workplace they become constrained by the old thinking and the old you know ideas around how things should work and we need to start you know disrupting that by showing using the data to show them you know what you think your experience is telling you is actually not always accurate. It is the eighty percent accurate, but this twenty percent. No, because it's bias. bias. We have bias. Yes. We have, we have our own bias, Babic. Our own experiences, right? The data doesn't lie. The data is just, it has no bias unless you put it in bad information, right? The data is going to tell you the story. Absolutely. There's no bias. And you there know what? I I really respect people who have been around for a long time. You know, my grandfather. He used to listen to my dad's <laughs> car and tell him what is wrong with it, right? And he usually was right, nice. right? Most, most. But yeah. that twenty-person time that he was not right, it would lead to the accidents of really, <laughs> really long. Like we would go on a trip and then we would stop in the middle of the day. So it's like it's the same thing. The twenty oh, percent of the time that we can guess or accurately use the intuition, that's what's setting things apart, you know, from a leading organization to a lagging organization. Yeah. The gut feel, right? Oh, the gut feel tells me. Yeah, but you don't have all the information. I'm sorry. Your gut doesn't feel, doesn't have I think, today. you know, there will be a time in future that we will be surprised how we let people at high level make decisions without information, without data. Like, how do we allow someone to make this decision not knowing all the facts around it, right? It will be surprising. It's, it's, it's ironic you say that. I was reading an article back in 2004, 2005. There, there was a kind of that, it was like London. It was a big banker in London. Maybe it was in 2004, but some time ago, some time ago. And he said, these guys are running the quantitative analysis, you know, these, these sort of sophisticated programs. I don't, he goes, one of the heads of one of the big banks, I don't understand what they're doing. Literally. You know, he just relied on these guys to run quants and quantitative analysis and they're predicting whatever they were. But this was way before the stuff you're talking about. You know, they were just going by a bunch of whiskey. Right. 
Yes. And you know, those viscous are so, could be the algorithms, right? They could be the ML models. And I, I my point is it's accessible, it's here, use it. Yeah. Take some courses, yeah. educate yourself. Uh, many of, of you know friends and you know sometimes clients that I had uh, during this downturn, unfortunately, you know, changed jobs or moved around. And then those ones who've taken yeah. some course, this is their feedback. They tell me, hey, Babak, you know, if I had taken the course where I met you, I would have had a completely different, you know, perspective on what I can do with the tools and technologies that you bring to us. Whereas, you know, when I met them at that time, you know, they were just an operating, you know, SVP and they knew everything that was going on uh, in their own, you know, um, you know, uh, I guess paradigm. Um, but now that they look at the possibilities and they did bring data scientists, they did bring data and they tried. But even if you don't, if you try, I guess, well, you should try. But if you want to try, you might as well learn a little bit about it. So my advice is really, you know, take one course, you know, here the overall possibilities yep. and the definition of terms and uh, you know at least what is a platform so when we talk about platform is it a digital or not that platform <laughs> well nobody because it's like crypto mining right when people talk about crypto mining data mining it's it's very some of the principles are similar they're just physical in the you know not the physical world you know the mining the analogies are there and same with the platform the platforms you're creating you're just taking data from that platform. It's just a physical, not a physical platform anymore. But yeah, I, I'm really f fascinated by what you're doing offline with the data. I, I, I'd like to just, you know, offline we can we can discuss that. But I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I did, I'd like to just know who those professors are because I'm I'm not about what I want to know what they're doing. I, I want to know what they're doing. You know, I, I want to know what the because the venture capital world it, it comes later, right? There's a bit of a lag. But if they're learning it in school, that's the next ten years, right? What's going on happening in ten years? Those are the next platforms coming out of the today's yes. university. We have to be up, you know, the pioneers, you know, that that's talking about data, that is talking about how to solve it. And, you know, we have really proven solutions. Uh, it's yeah. easy. It's not hard. You know, people spend times, many hours in meetings, you know, just discussing information or topics. But then look outside, I would say. Look outside. Look at, you know, and support the small businesses in Calgary that are trying to thrive or, you know, sure. exist or survive in this environment around data and analytics. I think we are the ones who are really trying to change this province, you know, and, you know, get and diversify it. Not the only ones, but one of the groups that can, you know, diversify using existing resources, existing data scientists, engineers, existing data, existing industry, right? Yeah. Look around me, like where I'm sitting, you know, some of the top, you know, Canadian, you know, uh, energy producers are just around the corner. Fascinating. Yeah. How much? I'm looking at the forest. I'm looking out at the forest from my home. There's a, there's a, there's a wood, <laughs> wooded area. But no, look, Fabric, you know, it's interesting because the, the data science. So I, I had a Terry Booth from RSM Canada. And you, you, Terry Booth used to be an ex Ian uh, e Y guy. But so RSM is a real focus on tech. And he said the audit is changing. And he said, 50% of our hires are going to come from CPAs, and the other 50% are from data scientists. There you go. You know, so that's a big, that's a big shift. That's a big paradigm shift in, uh, you know, how they're looking at that. So, you know, maybe you and you and Terry Booth need to talk offline, but I think it's fascinating. So, Babak, how do people find you? Because I, you know, I, I think I had to, I had to find you through the <laughs> phone book. I looked at I have, the phone book I have and you were there. Strategy for hiding. Um, very busy, but no, I so through our website, so integradas.ca, yeah. and we're open. Uh, we ha I'm on LinkedIn always, you know, looking for Calgarian business uh, people to talk to. Um, so that's another place I am, yeah. and I think I've been very open to connecting with people who are in Calgary and trying in the new, and I'm always very interested in uh, connecting with people in clean tech, you know, maintenance, reliability engineers, or anyone. Sure. We are actually. Um, good thing you mentioned. Uh, we are going to launch a community uh, platform, almost like a not LinkedIn, but a place where pe people can join and ask questions. And we we want to start yep. with some of the, so some of these concepts that I talked about around like simulation. We want to create these online communities where people can join and we can share what we have learned, and then learn from them. Uh, that will be launched um, by the end of this month. So. I would uh, suggest you look. I look forward to launch, launch yeah. preparing it. No, I like. So I, I'll let you know, and would be happy to you know answer any questions on the community, because this has. Yeah. 
you know, I, I would I would suggest and I'm not, you know, you, you can think of how you want to look at. It. But so, so back to Carrie McGrath during early covid, you know, I, she, I was into it was a kind of a conference call and this clean tech coalition. It was just the informal. She's gone and take it. She's got a website now and they've got they've taken it to the next level. A clean tech coalition. I think, you know, if you haven't connected, I think there's an opportunity because you I think that should be part of the equation, not brought in later. But during this whole thing, because as people look at new initiatives, the data is an overlay where the data is alongside yes. the data should be their partner. That, yeah, that, more than happy yeah. to talk to you offline and connect uh, to Katie for sure. I, I do want to put myself, you know, looking for opportunities to at least in our clean tech, you know, initiatives. We start with data in mind, right? With data, like kind of data first yeah. strategy yeah. when it comes to uh, decision making improvements. And having said that, we have worked on, you know, we have worked with clients who are drilling for uh, geothermal energy. And, you know, drilling for geothermal yeah. is very different from oil and gas. You know, you need a different drill bit and you need different equipments like hammer jacks that we need. And... <laughs> oh, Babic. You've gone offline again. Babic? We, we've done some work I've in lost. that area oh, in that space. But I really like the fact that they're taking a data-first yeah. approach, and they were very successful in, you know, bringing advice, bringing investors when they talk about the data because it just shows how much they know about their uh, their operations. So highly recommend anyone listening to this to and in the clean tech to start with data and the data-first kind of strategy when it comes to um, any decisions that they want to make. Well, you know, um, look, Babic, you this has still? been a real fun. I, 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 yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, you, you cut out for a little bit there on the geothermal side, but then you came okay. Back <laughs> well, Babic, look, this has been a this has been a terrific discussion, really insightful, and and really spot on to what's happening in the market today. I'm really happy to hear that, and I look for we'll, we'll we'll take it off a bit offline, some online. I'll get you in. Uh, we'll, we'll bring it in the mix. Okay, thanks, we'll Alan. Change it was it up a pleasure a talking to you, and good luck. Uh, absolutely, you. you too, and, have, and stay safe.